quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, breaking news. Israel now says there will be no hostages released until Friday at the earliest. A pause in fighting is also delayed. I'm going to speak to the father of an American woman who could be one of the hostages released. Plus, is this a a Hamas command center? Israel releasing new video tonight of what they found underneath Gaza's largest hospital. And also breaking new details tonight about what caused a car to explode at a U.S. border checkpoint, a deadly crash that sparked a massive federal response. Let's go out front. Good evening, everyone. I'm Kate Baldwin, in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news. A surprise delay in the agreement between Israel and Hamas. No hostages to be released before Friday. And no pause in the fighting until then. To be clear, up until a few hours ago, for the, the, is, uh, Israel was planning for the first of 50 hostages to be released in just under eight hours from now. And those 50 hostages are expected to be women and children. U.S. officials say they have a working list of who they believe likely is to be released, including three Americans. Little Abigail Idan is one of them. Her fourth birthday is Friday. And in a moment, I'm going to speak to the father of another American hostage being held captive by Hamas, Liat Benin. For the hostages not part of this deal, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu confirming tonight the Red Cross will be allowed to visit and provide medical care to them in Gaza. In exchange for this, Israel has agreed to release some 150 Palestinian prisoners. Though Netanyahu also is making clear this temporary pause in fighting will not last. Israel's war with Hamas is not over. Citizens of Israel, I'd like to be clear. The war continues. The war continues. We will continue with it until all our goals are achieved. To bring back our hostages to demolish Hamas. Now, we have team coverage of reporters standing by on all of this. Matthew Chance is in Tel Aviv. Alex Marcourt is in Washington. Matthew, first to you, what are you learning about this sudden 24-hour delay in the deal? Well, that it's taking place. Um, We don't know um, exactly why it is, uh, but we know that it it also means not just that the hostages uh, aren't going to be released tomorrow, but not until at least Friday. Uh, But it also means that, of course, the pause in the hostilities that was meant to start at 10 o'clock in the morning local time here in about eight hours from now um, will not go ahead. Uh, Perhaps that'll be pushed another another 24 hours um, as well. Um, We don't know the reasons for it. Um, uh, Israeli officials have told CNN that it's just very small details. You can imagine the logistical complications in getting a, you know, a hostage release of this magnitude together in a, in a place like Gaza, which has been you know, badly destroyed over the course of the last several weeks of you know, uh, Israeli bombardments. Um, and so that may be a factor. Um, it's also been suggested to CNN by Israeli officials that uh, there isn't, um, you know, there's been no signing of a, of a deal yet by any of the parties, by, the, by Hamas or by Israel or, or indeed by Qatar, that brokered this deal or helped broker it. And so all of these may be complicating factors that have just set this, this back 
um, um, to, to a period beyond where we thought it was going to start. It doesn't mean it's going to be derailed. No one's suggesting that. In fact, all the indications are that it will go ahead when these problems have been ironed out. But of course, it's immensely frustrating uh, for, for those people involved, particularly the families, the loved ones, the hostages, uh, waiting so um, uh, you know, painfully for, the, for those releases to happen. And Matthew, what then, what, what is the next step then? Is it just a waiting game now to hear that it, it's not necessarily guaranteed in 24 hours this is all going to happen? Um, it's not guaranteed, no. But I mean, look, I mean, it, there seems to be, you know, an impetus towards this thing actually happening. I mean, yes, there are some problems. It is logistically more difficult than it was originally anticipated. But that, but that does not mean, as I say, that, that this is not going to happen. I mean, already, you know, we've got guidance from from Israeli officials about how they anticipate this will take place. Uh, there'll be, you know, um, a movement of. Um, Israeli hostages out of Gaza uh, through the Rafah crossing into Egypt. They'll then cross back into Israel, uh, I'm told by Israeli officials, uh, in three different locations. Uh, children uh, amongst those hostages that have been released uh, who are under the, the age of 12 years old will be met at the border uh, by their, their loved ones, their families. Uh, others uh, above the age of 12 will go straight on to, to hospital where everybody will eventually be taken uh, to receive medical checkups. Um, uh, uh, you know, depending on, the, on their condition, obviously. But, you know, the, the Israelis are making plans uh, for this, um, re uh, this reception, this, this, this hostage release uh, to take place. Equally, uh, they're getting ready to release Palestinian prisoners as well, because that's the, that's the flip side of this deal. 150 or so uh, prisoners held in, in Israeli jails, Palestinians held in Israeli jails, they'll be released, I'm told, from three different Israeli jails back to where they originally came from, mainly uh, I'm told in the West Bank. So not only just getting this deal together and getting to agreement, just the logistics of how this is going to happen is also so complicated as you're laying out. Great reporting, Matthew. Thank you so much. So the Biden administration is hopeful that three Americans are among this group of hostages to be, to be released. Little Abigail Idan and two other women. The story of one American woman held hostage is one that we've followed closely on this show. Liat Benin, her husband, is also being held by Hamas right now. They were kidnapped from kibbutz near Oz. Out from with me now is Liat's father, Yehuda Benin. Yehuda, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Are you hopeful tonight your daughter will be one of those released in the coming days? I think that all along, um, I made it very clear that I refuse to get cut up, get to get cut up in the uh, Hamas's mind games, uh, and I'll be happy. Uh, when I see my daughter uh, released. Until then, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, building uh, on any particular hope or on any particular outcome. As we, we saw, uh, as you described in your uh, opening, uh, the um, hostage release was delayed by a day. Uh, we, were, we were informed uh, of this, uh, by the way, by the IDF. So it's the news uh, that you're presenting isn't news to me. Um, so, okay, uh, it is what it is. You can control what you can control, which is essentially, it seems like how you feel and your emotions in this moment, because others have described it as being in such an emotional roller coaster that it's kind of hard to maintain. Just staying stable until, because you're dealing with a terrorist organization which cannot be trusted, it seems that might be the safest place to be until you see 
who is actually coming across that border? It's worked for us, uh, for my wife and I up until now. And uh, that will continue to be the, uh, the key to uh, being able to remain uh, functioning uh, throughout this ordeal. Have you allowed yourself to, and you and your wife, to, to think about seeing Liad again, what you, what you want to say to her again in the belief and hope that, you, that she will be released? First of all, uh, the process, the technical process, uh, has been pretty well explained uh, by the Army. Uh, so uh, it's a very controlled environment. Uh, after being delivered uh, back to Israeli hands, so she'll be taken to a hospital, I imagine. Uh, not clear which one. Uh, and the army will ensure that uh, we, we get to meet her. Uh, obviously, there will be a debriefing of some sort. Uh, I'm assuming that in this case, uh, American authorities will also want to uh, speak with her. Uh, and then she's free. She'll have to decide, our daughter will have to decide uh, where she wants to uh, hang out uh, until uh, uh, until she's ready to move on. Yeah. Um, there are also th three children involved here, and so they have to say. I was going to ask you, how, how, how are their boys doing? Uh, everyone's fine. All the kids are fine. There are two boys and a girl. Oh, I'm and sorry. A woman. Uh, they're all uh, all made in their parents' mold. Uh, they're they're strong, uh, stoic, and are handling the situation uh, rather well. To be perfectly honest. I, I heard you say in a previous interview that your daughter is afraid of nothing and that she is tough and something that she definitely <clears throat> will need to rely on for a long time to come. And if, if and when, let's say it that way, Liat is released, based on what we know of this deal, her husband is still going to be, will remain behind, will still remain a hostage. I mean, how do you deal with that? Well, based on your report, uh, there's supposed to be... Um uh, access uh, by the Red Cross uh, and the treatment if uh, necessary. Uh, so at least we'll know, uh, we'll have some information about what the situation is uh, regarding Aviv. Uh, then uh, I, I assume that uh, uh, the Israeli government and uh, the citizens of Israel who were involved in uh, securing the uh, release of the hostages. We'll have to decide how to move forward on that. Yeah. Yehuda, thank you for coming on and speaking with us tonight. Okay, sure. Thank, thank you. you. Joining, me, joining me also right now is Chris O'Leary. He's a former director of hostage recovery for the U.S. government and a former FBI agent. Chris, this pause in fighting and this pause in the release of the hostages, um, this delay, what do you read into it? I think it's probably just logistics. I think uh, there's too much inertia on this deal uh, to have it not go through. I think Israel has signed off on it, and it's to Hamas's benefit. So I don't think they'll renege on it. But as you highlighted just a few moments ago, they are a terrorist organization. Uh, you cannot trust anything they're saying. There may be a deliberate reason why they're pausing. They may be just doing it for additional effect. 
to you know, create uncertainty and, and terrorize further, um, or it just could be logistics. I mean, it's a war zone, it's Gaza. Uh, Hamas is not a high-performing organization. They're not Microsoft here. They're a terrorist organization that is haphazard in many things that they do, and they're living in Gaza, which is you know, in rubble right now. The first couple days of the hostage release is, is, will be treated as the way it's been described as kind of a testing period. What exactly, leaning on your experience, what exactly does that mean in hope? Is it, is it trying to establish any kind of quote-unquote level of trust to see if this actually can continue? Sure, that's exactly what it is. Uh, again, now if I'm Israel and I'm negotiating with Hamas and I've negotiated <laughs> with terrorist organizations before, yeah. um, and I've spent a career fighting terrorism. So it's odd to be in the same room with these folks and trying to come to some kind of negotiated deal, uh, especially when you spend your life pursuing them. Uh, but, you know, the, this is the world we're in, and this is what Israel has to face right now. But remember, six weeks ago, they just massacred 1,200 of their citizens. So now, you know, you're putting aside that grievance temporarily so you can get some innocent victims out, up to 50, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and hopefully this comes together. The Red Cross factor of this, when Netanyahu said today that the Red Cross is going to be able to go in to visit and offer medical support to the other hostages who will remain um, still after these 50, he also said the same, almost same breath, that the war continues um, to bring back the rest of the hostages and also to demolish Hamas. How does the Red Cross assistance work, given that? It's extremely unusual. I'm heartened by it. The Red Cross can go in there as a legitimate, you know, organization and assess the status of the hostages, give medical treatment, and then also report back who is there, identify them. That is not something that happens with terrorist organizations. Hamas is not a nation state. They're not a legitimate government. They're not a legitimate fighting force. So where the Red Cross has authority to go in is if there's a, you know, traditional war and there's actual uh, legitimate combatants on each side. I, have, I cannot point to a, a situation that I can recall where something like this has happened. Um, and I think we talked earlier, hostage taking is a violation of international law. It's against the 1979 Convention Against Hostage Taking. Um, so that's number one. Even if Hamas was a legitimate fighting force in a lawful war, it's against the Geneva Convention. You cannot take hostages. Where the Red Cross comes in is they get to visit prisoners of war. So although I'm happy that the Red Cross is getting to go in because we're going to be able to get glean more information and get the status of people, it's giving Hamas some legitimacy potential unintentionally. And, and that's a little bit of concern. They are a terrorist organization. It's very interesting. It's good to see you, Chris. Thanks for coming in tonight. Out front next, our breaking news continues with new reporting on how the Biden administration is working to secure the release of the hostages not part of this initial deal. Plus, bedrooms and a kitchen. New video of what Israel says it found under the El Shifa hospital in Gaza. A spokesman for the IDF is our guest. And also breaking new details on why a car exploded at the U.S.-Canada border as we're getting new video of that crash. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. 
Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, explosions continue to rock Gaza. The pause in fighting is now delayed 24 hours ahead of the expected release of women and children being held hostage by Hamas terrorists. And even after this hostage release, the fate of the vast majority of those still being held captive remains very much in question. The White House saying today that President Biden has been, quote, personally engaged in negotiations. Alex Marquardt is out front in Washington for us. Alex, what are you learning about the status of negotiations for the rest of the hostages held by Hamas? Well, Kate, we've heard repeatedly uh, from U.S. officials that they say they will not rest uh, until the rest of the American hostages uh, come out, aside from these women and children, that the U.S. will stay very much engaged for all of these hostages. Uh, but those conversations really have not begun in earnest yet. The, the main focus really has been on getting these women and children out, making sure that this mechanism works. It is believed that the easiest negotiations with Hamas were to get these women and children out. And that's assuming, of course, that, that this all goes according to plan, that these 50 or, or more actually come out in the coming days. Uh, I was speaking with a, an official who is uh, involved in these conversations, briefed on the, on the negotiations, who told me uh, that this first swap of, of 50 people is the most crucial to make sure that this mechanism is working as was agreed. So assuming this goes smoothly, you then have, as you say, the vast majority of the hostages who remain, and they really do fall into three distinct uh, buckets. You have men who are both elderly and non-Israeli nationals. Then you have Israeli soldiers, both men and women. And then you have bodies, people who were killed either on October 7th uh, or since then. U.S. and Israeli officials agree that the most difficult negotiations are going to be around the Israeli soldiers, both the men and the women. No one in Israel certainly has forgotten the exchange of Gilad Shalit back in 11, uh, 2011. He was held for years by Hamas, and when he was exchanged, um, Hamas was able to get more than 1,000 prisoners uh, out of Israeli prisons. So it is possible that the conversations about the rest of the hostages begin soon, uh, but it could be quite some time before the rest of those hostages come home, Kate. Yeah, I've heard weeks, months, how it's described to me by a couple people just today. It's good to see you, Alex. Thank you so much. Out front with me now, Jonathan Dekel Chen. His son, Sagi, is, is among those kidnapped by Hamas now nearly seven weeks ago, still captive in Gaza. Jonathan, thank you for coming on tonight. Given what we know about this agreement, it does seem unlikely that Sagi will be among those released in this in, in this in this moment, 
What, what then does this moment feel like for you? Well, I think it's, it's two poles. Uh, the first pole is uh, assuming that, that Hamas can deliver on its promise here that these 50 uh, women and children will be released. I'm, I'm overjoyed for them. And uh, keep in mind that from my kibbutz alone, from my one community alone, there are still 75 hostages being held by Hamas since October 7th. Of the list that's been published, uh, there are multiple, multiple children and uh, women and moms, including Liat Tatsili, who you spoke with her dad a few minutes ago. These are all my neighbors, my friends, my kids' friends, my, my grandchildren's friends. So I, I couldn't be more pleased for, for those families because it's like my extended family coming home. On the other hand, um, it, it, it's very difficult to say in terms of Sagi and the other 190 hostages. Again, 190 hostages who aren't referred to at all in, in this stage of the agreement. Uh, it's almost impossible to say given uh, Hamas as a, um, a sort of a barbarian terrorist organization with no regard for human life, Israeli or Palestinian for that matter, what this first stage might say about the coming stages. Do you allow yourself to think about that moment when, you'll, when you will see Sagi again? It seems just like, an ex I keep thinking of this, Jonathan, because it's like this suspend, this moment of like us being in a suspended nightmare. I almost envision it feels like being just seven weeks, nearly seven weeks now since that horrible, horrible day. And I just wonder if, if you allow yourself to think about that moment. Well, there's not a waking or even a sleeping moment that I'm not thinking about Sagi in some measure. And I can certainly visualize and, and, and love visualizing uh, his two little girls uh, running into, leaping into his arms when he comes home. And, um, you know, hope, in, in hopes that he comes home quickly, but if not, then meeting his third little girl who's set to be born in a couple of weeks. So I absolutely have that in mind as something that I'm working for and, or towards uh, together with the release of, of all of the hostages. God, his poor wife and what she's going through and about to bring their, another beautiful child into the world in the midst of this. Uh, just unbelievable. H how is she doing? How's the rest of the family handling, handling, this, handling this news right now of, of this deal? Well, you know, we're doing the best we can. Um, it, it's a, it's a multi-level crisis, really, yeah. because uh, not just Sagi's family, wife and two, two young daughters, but I have another daughter who lives on the kibbutz with her young family. So there are four little kids between the age of two and six who are utterly traumatized by this hell on earth that befell the kibbutz on October 7th. So, you know, missing our loved ones, um, those that were murdered, uh, all of my grandkids, again, from age two to six, have close friends who are no longer alive, who were murdered in their beds um, um, on October 7th. So we have to deal with that. And we also have to deal with the fact that our community as a whole, our cooperative farm, like many others uh, around the, uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, not just uh, were massacred, but rather also had all of their property stolen by hundreds, thousands of looters actually from Gaza. And then whatever could not be looted was burned to the ground. 
So there's no going home um, for any of these kids or, or the adults. Our home as we knew it no longer exists. It's uh, a series of tragedies uh, for us Israeli civilians and, and honestly for the Palestinian civilians as well, uh, who find themselves in this horrible situation, not of their making, but by Hamas's making. We keep ourselves busy, I mean, in, in, in thinking about what the future will bring for us. Um, for me personally, working um, you know, with the press and, and with governments in Israel and abroad, um, keeping laser attention focused on this humanitarian universal uh, issue and challenge of our hostages in, in the hands of Hamas and um, taking care of the little ones the best we can and trying to help them make sense of shattered lives. Make sense of what is impossible to make sense of. Do Jonathan, thank you so much. It's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Out front for us next. What does the sudden delay in the hostage exchange and truce mean for Israel's military operation in Gaza now? An IDF spokesman joins us next. Plus, North Korea claiming its just launched spy satellite is about to be put to use. So what is Kim Jong-un up to? A special report ahead. Tonight, the IDF says it found two more tunnel shafts under the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza, the same hospital Israel and U.S. intelligence say Hamas used as a, has used as a command post. The IDF also releasing new videos, which it says is further evidence of Hamas infrastructure below the hospital. You're seeing this now. Listen. You can see a small kitchen. So it will provide them food, water, etc. All these facilities of water and food are coming from the hospital, meaning they're using the hospital infrastructures. They're using the hospital infrastructures in order to provide this terror mechanism to stay alive and survive. The videos also show electricity throughout the tunnel shafts and even bedrooms. These videos were distributed by the IDF and CNN is unable to independently verify the findings. Out front with me now, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus, international spokesperson for the IDF. Colonel, thanks for coming back in. The more time your soldiers are spending at the Shifa Medical Complex, what are you finding? What do you, what do you, what do you think it shows? Hi, and thank you for having me. Uh, what we are finding is additional proof and proof and proof for what we have been saying all along that Hamas uses hospitals in Gaza, all of the hospitals in Gaza, for their military purpose in violation of humanitarian law. They have been lying about it from day one. We have been speaking the truth, and uh, we have showed it with visuals from the Qatari hospital, from the Rantisi hospital, and now more so from the Shifa hospital. They've used it in order to hold our hostages there, and uh, they have been using it to run military operations. Now, when they do this, they are the ones who are uh, actively endangering civilians at the hospital, putting them at risk by conducting military operations in there. And I think it is very regrettable. And, you know, ever since we uh, shared this uh, information, these, uh, this footage, I'm waiting for organizations to come clean. I'm waiting for the World Health Organization uh, for the uh, Palestinian Red Crescent, for UNRWA, and for many other organizations that were fast to criticize us for our military operations, I'm waiting for them to say, yes, IDF, you were right, we were wrong, 
Hamas has been using hospitals in violation of humanitarian law, and they should be condemned for it. Speaking of military operations, what does this delay in the truce for at least 24 hours mean for your military operations in Gaza now with relation to this hostage agreement? It doesn't mean too much because this is, uh, you know, we understand what type of an organization we're dealing with. This is an organization that has a proven track record of violating uh, UN brokered ceasefires and other agreements. So it's not a surprise that there are last minute changes and complications. Our posture on the ground and the order to the troops on the ground is to continue to operate, to be vigilant whenever, and hopefully it will, but whenever the agreement comes into effect and we will be able to uh, get these hostages back, we, we know that we will have to be very vigilant on the ground. But until then, we continue to operate. We have a clear goal at, uh, at task and we are going to continue to attack Hamas and dismantle their military infrastructure. <coughs> Apologies. Um, the former head of Mossad says that it will be much harder to start back up with the fighting and your military operation once this truce sets in. Do you agree with that analysis? Um, I, you know, on the ground, it is a dynamic situation and uh, pausing operations is, it can be challenging and we've seen that in the past. And of course, we would rather continue operations and keep the pressure on Hamas. We see that this pressure is effective. We see that they are uh, losing a lot of combat capabilities as we continue to fight in the densely prepared urban terrain, which is a good thing. Stopping isn't ideal, but stopping for a good cause is uh, something that we are more than willing to do because it is extremely important for us to get or facilitate the uh, safe return of uh, at least 50 Israeli women and children that have been held by Hamas for 47 days. Uh, it is a legitimate concern and we have to, the directive given to the troops is to be vigilant and ready. Once the agreement is, I hope, successfully completed, then we will return to operations. And the aim of the operation is to dismantle all of Hamas infrastructure in Gaza. Colonel Komunikas, thank you for your time. Thank you. Up front with me now, Ephraim Halefi, the former director of Mossad, Israel, is Israel's intelligence service. Thank you so much for being here, Director. You heard my conversation with Conricus right then. He does not seem worried that with this pause in fighting, um, that it will make it any harder to start back up once again, once this to resume the war against Hamas. What do you say to that? Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure that he's uh, entitled to his own view on this, uh, as I am. My view. <clears throat> I think uh, there is a. Uh, a uh, clear uh, possibility that once uh, you slow down, to rev up again is not always uh, automatic. I think uh, there is more and more uh, evidence that the international community uh, would like this war to come to an end one way or another. I think uh, that uh, certainly the President of the United States th is of the opinion, as best I understood it, that uh, the quicker it is possible to cease uh, hostilities in the Gaza Strip, the better. Uh, I think Hamas has uh, suffered uh, extremely uh, heavy losses. I think Hamas's uh, capabilities have been uh, 
certainly curtailed as, in, as much as we were able to do this. Whether it will be possible to uh, remove Hamas from the face of the earth, as uh, the Prime Minister Netanyahu would like to happen, and to bring Hamas to a point where it will say that it is no longer uh, a viable military uh, presence in the Gaza Strip, that remains to be seen. I was going to ask you if you think that's possible, to demolish Hamas, as, as Netanyahu promised again today. I think it is desirable. I'm not sure that it's possible. Hamas has been there for a very long time. It has an international uh, aura to it as well. It's not only in <clears throat> Gaza, it's in other places in the Middle East. They have a presence in Qatar, for instance, which is now uh, very uh, active in uh, uh, bringing about the agreement on the uh, exchange of uh, hostages um, and prisoners. But uh, Hamas... Uh, has also uh, been uh, for a long time uh, one of the main players on the Palestinian scene, politically, not only militarily. And I think that this is uh, a, something which <clears throat> might uh, last much longer than just this particular round of hostilities. Mm. Director, thank you for your time. Thanks for thank coming you. in. Out front for us next, new details coming in about that explosion at the U.S.-Canada border. What does video of the blast reveal this evening? Plus, now back in the United States, we hear how one man managed to escape the massacre in Israel. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, no signs of terrorism. That's the word from multiple officials tonight after a car exploded on a bridge at the U.S. border with Canada. The massive explosion and the wild scene was caught on camera. Surveillance video captured part of what happened. Two people were killed inside that car. This happened on the Rainbow Bridge near Niagara Falls in upstate New York. Bryn Gingrass is out front with more on this for us. Bryn, this shut down that border crossing for hours, and it also caused a massive federal response. What do officials think happened? Yeah, Kate, you know what? Authorities looking at so much surveillance camera in the area, looking to piece together what happened. What they believe right now is the driver of the car is a Western New York resident, and they believe that person was driving at a very high rate of speed for some reason, that car hitting a curb and then going airborne, jumping several feet over a fence into a checkpoint there at that border crossing. So that's what explains some of that confusion as to where that car was coming from initially when this was being reported. Now, we know that the debris field of this explosion, it stretches across several toll booths of that area, according to the governor, and uh, there's really only the engine intact of that car. We also know from sources that they identify the two people inside that car. Uh, like I said, the driver, a resident of New York, and they're able to look into that person's social media, and that's one of the reasons why they don't believe that there is any terror.
terrorist threat here. So it's important uh, to underscore that. But as you mentioned, two people uh, were killed here. And uh, again, right now at this time, when it is heightened security all around this state in particular, uh, it again is important to underscore that no terrorist threat related to this. It seems to be some sort of just uh, accident that likely could have happened, but investigation continues. Wow. Bryn, thank you for the update. All right. Up front for us next, now safely in the United States, an Israeli man shares his story about his miraculous survival amid the massacre on October 7th, thanks to a soldier. He just shot two rounds into the terrorist head and killed him on the spot. And North Korea says its new spy satellite is ready to go. Tonight, new video from a man who narrowly survived the attack on October 7th. He was shot at several times as he fled Hamas terrorists. Nick Watt is out front. This is a video um, from the party itself. Listen to the music. How absurd it is. This is more. One of his best friends. She will be dead in just a few hours. Dawn broke. Hamas terrorists were approaching in boats, the Israeli Navy in pursuit. Hamas landed on the beach. Ariel and his friends hid between two shipping containers. You hear the bullets hitting the metal of the containers. I will never forget the sound. They would have gone to the bomb shelter if they'd known there was one. Everyone else on the beach headed there were the public bathroom. Instagram video of them hiding. One minute after we left the shore, uh, the terrorists mounted the beach and went to the shelter and killed everyone there. They killed everyone. Hamas filmed the horror. But you obviously didn't know this at the time. No, I hear the gunshots, I hear the screams, I hear everything. And it was terrible. Ariel and his friends ran until they reached an IDF base. Eventually, they were let in. Some sent farewell messages to their parents. Ariel did not. If I, if I will be dead, which I thought is most likely, at least they will have a few more hours without knowing that. We decided that we need to get out of there, so we uh, ran to the cows. The terrorists came out of the bushes and started firing at us at close range. Luckily for us, uh, the soldier Yariv that was us, he's a soldier, he just shot two rounds into the terrorist head and killed him on the spot. They drove, saw an Israeli police checkpoint. We see a dead body lying on the ground, all dressed up in black, just like a police officer in Israel. Suddenly the dead body wakes up, holding an AK-47, and the terrorist just firing at us. So he was dressed as an Israeli cop? Yeah. And one of my friends got hit in the shoulder by a bullet. The other bullet went right above her head and shaved some of her hairs. Shaved her hair. Shaved her hair here. Whoa. Eventually, they reached an actual Israeli police checkpoint. His injured friends taken to the hospital. I told you Ariel's friend Mo would die. She tried to drive to her mom's house. At 6.47, she's calling her mom. She's telling her that she's on the shelter. She's in the shelter and she will get home soon. And that was her last contact with her. Um, because when she went out of the shelter, they just shot her dead. I made a tattoo from that day 
It says 20 out of 21. We went 21 and we got back 20. It looks like the Holocaust numbers from, uh, from Auschwitz. He came here after he saw what was happening here in America. And people are removing their David stars and removing every Jewish sign they have. And I say to you, this is 1933 in Germany? No, this is the United States of 2023. And it starts to look similar to that, and I'm very worried. Now, Ariel Eingal says he has no issue with the Palestinian people, no hatred for them. In fact, he hates to see them suffering as they are now. Now, he was actually called up. He was in this fight when he decided, after seeing the anti-Semitism being directed at Jews, the blame being directed at Jews, he decided to come to the U.S. to tell his story. Um, and his message, this is not between Israelis and Palestinians. This is just between Israel and Hamas, just Israel against Hamas. Kate. Nick Watt, thank you for bringing us this story. Up front for us next, North Korea claims its new spy satellite is up and running. What is Kim Jong-un up to? Tonight, North Korea set the date for its first satellite spy mission. Next week, Will Ripley's out front. As if the world doesn't have enough to worry about. Rising tensions on the Korean peninsula. North Korea claims big progress in its satellite program. Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un appearing triumphant in state media, posing for propaganda cameras with a team of North Korean scientists and engineers, celebrating an apparently successful third attempt to put a spy satellite into orbit, two failed launches earlier this year. Pyongyang promises more satellite launches in the near future, satellites crucial to improving the accuracy of North Korea's Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Program, a program banned by the United Nations Security Council, possibly perfected with the help of Russian rocket scientists. Acting on orders from President Vladimir Putin, Kim and Putin's September summit at this Russian space launch complex, signaling Moscow's growing support for Pyongyang's space program a partnership believed to be providing Putin with badly needed North Korean weapons, arming Russian soldiers on the battlefields of Ukraine. Putin told state media reporters at the time Russia would help North Korea launch its own satellites and rockets, saying that's exactly why we came here. Japanese authorities issued an emergency warning, what they believed to be a satellite-carrying ballistic missile soaring over Okinawa. <laughs> Today, North Korea conducted a launch using ballistic missile technology. The Japanese prime minister condemning the launch. Swift reactions from South Korea. Seoul suspending military pacts with the North. The North Korean regime is entirely responsible for this situation. A troubling sign even for locals who live every day under threat from the nuclear-armed North. The successful launch of North Korea's spy satellite means that their technology has improved that much. We're at North Korea's brand new satellite control center. In 2015, I met with senior officials at North Korea's satellite control center. They insisted their purpose was peaceful space exploration, even expressing outrage at ongoing speculation. They were secretly operating a ballistic missile development program. Our peaceful launch was not a threat yesterday, a threat to you today, and it won't be a threat tomorrow. Tomorrow has arrived, and this may be just the beginning.
That's it for this episode of Aaron Burnett Out Front. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio, or of course, in your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.